0: Hello from Valley Baptist Church in Eureka, Montana. Valley Baptist Church is an independent Baptist church serving the greater Eureka, Montana area. Pastor Matt Shrepfer is the pastor. His wife, Juanetta serves along his side.
1: Please pick up your songbooks and open them to number 13. Joshua will lead us in. Bow the knee.
2: eyes and see His awesome glory. I remember who He is. The need. Is he
1: I'd like to welcome everyone we'll begin by prayer and then i have some announcements heavenly father you deserve all our worship honor and the glory that is yours we can even express in our hearts and in our minds with our mouths and our actions and father god i ask you that we would today tomorrow and the week ahead that we would be those who worship you throughout the week, not just for an hour on Sunday. But Heavenly Father, I also ask you that in every part of this hour together, you would be the one who is honored and glorified, that Jesus Christ would be exalted in our singing together as we just did in the giving and the opening of the scripture and the fellowship together as we pray together like this oh father god may it be about you and not about us I ask you heavenly father too that you would make a difference in the lives of each of us here today may the holy spirit work among us if there's someone here who is not absolutely sure that heaven is their eternal home through faith in Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for their sin that today would be the day of salvation that they would accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior this very day heavenly father for those of us who have made that decision at one time or another in our lives I ask you that you would grow us in our walk with and toward our savior Jesus Christ in whose name I pray amen I'd like to ask two of our young people, and I know Joshua is busy right now, but Shelby, would you come up and share a brief testimony about your time at camp? Shelby has been at camp three weeks already this summer, and this coming week is her fourth week at camp. Come on, Shelby. (laughs) Um, She has been a counselor already at junior high camp. Last week, she was a, a camper at senior high camp her last time yeah she's going off to college this fall but this is their last hurrah at camp and so this coming week at junior girls camp you'll be a counselor again is that right yep okay please share a little bit about any of the camps or senior high camp whatever
3: okay
4: um well my name is sylvia i think i know most of you guys um i really appreciate pastor jenkins Um, he was the chapel speaker this week, and he really emphasized, um, the inspiration of the Word, staying in the Word, and having a right relationship with Christ, and, you know, just having that as a basis for everything we do in life. Um, it was just really convicting in a lot of ways. It was a good time for fellowship. No one got
3: too, too hurt. So,
4: um... Yeah, it was a good last year, and I really appreciate all the prayers and the staff and all the work gone
1: into the last four weeks of camp. So, yeah. Thanks, Shelby. Joshua, would you share also?
4: I'm so thankful for what God has done uh, this past week at camp, and I'm sure in the whole year, although I won't be going to all those weeks. Um, You know, I want to touch just a little bit on... uh, Deeper on what Shelby kind of said, as far as what Pastor Bill Jenkins was speaking about, Um, a couple of these were near to my heart as well. Uh, And I brought up, I brought up the notes that uh, he gave us, and we filled out. Um, And I want to speak on uh, the one it says here. The title is "Be Spirit-Filled and Let the Word Dwell in You." His challenge to us that day was: the Bible should be up here to where our emotions are down here. And he said, when you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and he focused on Colossians 3.16 through 4.1, Colossians chapter 3.16 through chapter 4.1,
3: um,
4: and you guys can go ahead and read that later, but he said, when you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, when you read this word, when you follow what he's doing, that uh, the, the instructions that are in that passage will lend you to have the Bible up here and your emotions down here. He also spoke of being spirit-filled that day. He focused on Ephesians 5.18 through 6.9. And those two passages are very close to each other. There's very few differences in those. He warned us. He said, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't study it, don't do what it says, you will start to see your emotions take the high place in your life, and you'll see yourself being used by your emotions rather than following God's Word. And so it's a challenge to us each day to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, so that we are Spirit-filled. The other uh, one was Reckon, Refuse, and Yield, is uh, the title of that one. Um, he used Romans 6, 11 through 13, and... Uh, A big thing for us was this uh, paragraph that he wrote right at the start. It says, If I neglect the Word of God, our ultimate source of knowledge, I will fail. It may not be a huge catastrophic failure, but a failure nonetheless. A failure that spells barely get by Christianity. It may not wreck my life, but it will start a chain of failure. A huge danger to us in these days is that many or most of us can get by without any more instruction in the world. Get by Christianity, and it's very dangerous, and we can fall into that. And this uh, message that he spoke on Romans 6, 11 to 13, was to show us that we need more than just get by Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that's what camp is for, that's what the church is for, that's what our brothers and sisters in Christ keeping us accountable is for. Mm-hmm. So that's all on the uh, very um, sermon side of things. Um, Memorization side, uh, I saw uh, one guy in my cabin, uh, and there was another girl that actually beat him, Uh, but memorized all but two or three verses. We're talking probably 30, 30 to 50 verses total in different passages, different areas, memorizing all those verses and the girl actually beat him because she actually did some extra credit verses. Uh, so we saw <laughs> yeah I didn't know about those um, but uh, we saw some great memorization. We saw some great decisions. I was blown away um, the times that, uh, that Pastor Bill had in the back and other leaders in the camp standing in the back and watch in order to pray for those who raised their hands. I was blown away each time by how many people made decisions. And that's a big prayer request that I ask of you, that I ask of those who are here for Sunday school. Pray for those people who made decisions, who memorized that scripture, um, whose lives were changed in some way this past week and in the weeks of camp this year. Pray that when they go home, when they have that opportunity to return to normal life, that they don't that they follow through with their decisions that they've made. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I know of that was saved, there may have been more, but last I heard of, there was one person that got saved this week at camp. Pray that he changes and that he follows the Lord through after his salvation. Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks. Thanks. You, Thank you. think you will ever be a counselor again?
4: <laughs> well, I'm talking to Pastor Mark about two weeks
1: next year. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We better get to going here. Let's open our songbooks to 57, Be Thou Exalted. And let's just sing the first and last verses, Joshua, please.
4: Number 57, the first and the
1: last verse. Good job, Sean. to ask everyone to stand and pick up your copy of God's Word and open them, your Bible that is, to Matthew chapter 5, and follow along with Tom as he reads verses 10 through 16.
0: Good morning, everybody.
1: Good morning, Tom.
0: Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye... When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall and shall say all manner of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but a thought if the salt hath lost its savor Savor herewith shall it be salt. It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trod under the foot of men. Be ye, ye are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, and put it under a bush, but on a candlestick, and give a light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father. Which is in heaven. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you for reading that, Tom. Please remain standing and we'll sing, not this little light of mine, but that would be appropriate, wouldn't it? We'll sing Worthy of Worship number 23 in our songbooks. You may be seated. Please open your Bibles to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, if you can find Jonah, most people know where Jonah is in their Bibles. They enjoy that account of Jonah and the whale. It's the book just before Jonah, okay? Or Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and then Obadiah. You could find Matthew in the New Testament and go backward nine books and you'll find Obadiah. One time I was preaching a sermon out of an Old Testament book like this, and I, I had to memorize it, but I counted backwards from, I mean, I said each book backwards, like Malachi, Zechariah, and, and anyway, backward to the book of the, uh, of the Old Testament from Matthew and the New Testament. Anyway, I'm not wanting to make a show of that. It would, I don't have it memorized backwards. I do have all the books of the Bible memorized forwards, though, <laughs> I think I could do it, it'd just take me a while. Anyway, if you're open to Obadiah, please follow along as I read our our, our text for today Is the last verse. That means this is our last sermon out of Obadiah for now. But we'll start at verse 15 for the context sake. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble and they shall kindle in them and devour them and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau for the Lord hath spoken it and they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau and they of the plain the Philistines and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion and judge the Mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we recognize that you, both as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are sovereign in every way. That you control the events of the universe, of our solar system, of this planet, of the kingdoms of mankind. You are orchestrating and working them all in the direction of your perfect will and we trust you for that we know that you truly are the sovereign king of the universe and yet right now you've left this world order in the hands hands of men that nations around our world are not looking to you as their king including our dear nation of the United States. Father God, we ask that you would turn our land back toward its Bible and biblical moorings. Oh, Heavenly Father, I ask you that you would heal this land, that we would humble ourselves before you. We know that the Edomites, those descendants of Esau, did not humble themselves before you, and they're gone. Lord, we do not want that for our nation. I do ask you that it would start in this room, in the hearts of each individual here, that we would humble ourselves before you and that you would make a difference in our lives. And that our lives would make a difference in the lives of others. For your honor and glory, Lord God, I pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we looked at the day of the Lord from verse 15. And recognized in a general sense that the two dozen or so mentions of the day of the Lord in our Bibles can refer to both the Lord's first coming in Bethlehem and reaching to his second coming with power and great glory to establish his kingdom. Most often, it focuses on the end of this age when believers will be snatched up off this earth to meet the Lord in the air, according to First Thessalonians chapter 4, and when this world will face a time of terrible tribulation such as has never happened before nor ever will again, when at least half of the remaining population on earth will perish A climax of the day of the Lord will be when Jesus comes again to judge and to put down evil and unbelief and establish his kingdom on earth where unprecedented peace will rule for a thousand years under King Jesus. Oh, for wonderful peace today. Don't you wish for peace today? We ought to. Is it attainable now? There have been hundreds of peace treaties, peace accords. There have been multiple peace summits between many nations over the last few hundred years. Yet peace in our world is so elusive. It is. It doesn't take much observation to recognize that. It seems further from being realized now than before. See what God's prophets have said about is peace attainable now. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah forty-eight twenty-two, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Isaiah 59, 8, the way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Jeremiah wrote it this way in Jeremiah six fourteen, they have healed all, Also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Jeremiah 14 verse 19 Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hast thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us and there is no healing for us? We look for peace and there is no good. And for the time of healing, and behold, trouble. Ezekiel wrote it this way in Ezekiel 13:16. To wit, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, and which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace, saith the Lord God. No, there is no peace in Jerusalem today, is there? There's no peace in Israel. There's no peace in the Middle East. Nor in reality, any nation of this world. We're not really dwelling in peace. America enjoys many benefits. But is there really peace here? Not really. We've not observed more peace, more godly morals, and less terrorism than before. We all know... It's worse, not better. We all know that. Let's be honest about it. Even though we don't like to say that, that's the truth. The moral character of America and society is not at an all-time high. It's at an all-time low with open drug abuse, legalized marijuana, spreading homosexuality and lesbianism and the promotion of LGBTQ rights, rights, more single-parent homes, child abuse, and the rejection of marriage between one man and one woman, and on and on it goes. And, here's my political statement for the day, socialism will not fix it. More socialism will multiply the problems, not help it. We talked about adding darkness to dark to come up with light somehow in Sunday school. No, socialism won't fix it. No human scheme can solve the ills and lack of peace in society. No human scheme can. And I'll add there are some theological constructs which have become popular among Christians that propose that the church and Christians can solve the problems for humanity and they can't fix it either. What? You mean Christians and Christianity can't fix the peace problem in the world? Well, let me say this. Yes, true Christians can make a difference in our personal lives, in our homes, and in our families, and in our churches, and to a degree, in our communities. We can make a positive difference. But world peace? Come on. That can only be solved by God himself. Our verse states, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's what our verse states. It will be the King Jesus who will bring world peace in his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, as Matthew called it, some 32 times. The kingdom of God is used by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul 69 times. It's also called the kingdom of Christ by the apostle Paul. These mentions are almost always in the future tense. Almost always in the future tense. The kingdom had not yet come. In our verse, it says, And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Jesus spoke of the kingdom that would come. It was yet future in the Lord's day, in his first, his first advent, if you will. The kingdom had not yet come, and there are some popular contemporary clichés that most of us have heard and may not give, we might not even give a second thought to these clichés, but we ought to. We ought to reflect on them because they... Show us a false theological teaching. How many of you have heard about kingdom now theology? A few, okay. Have you heard somebody say, we are kingdom builders? Have you heard that? Yep, I've heard that. Others that we add to the kingdom. We're the ones that are adding to the kingdom. I guess that all sounds noble and all. But it sounds so human, too, doesn't it? As if it's up to you and me, we can do it. And the Lord is waiting. He's depending on us to get the job done for him. Basically, that's the whole theological construct in a nutshell. Some more honest theologians recognize the absurdity and misdirection of those kingdom-builder theologians and teachers and have proposed a compromise. Here it is. The kingdom is already, but not yet. <laughs> they want to make friends on both sides, if you will. In general, these teachings come from two major views of Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. 1,000 years is stated there six times as an actual period of time, 1,000 years. And in verse 6, it tells us that believers shall reign with Christ 1,000 years. That's the concept of the kingdom. And most understand this passage to refer to the kingdom. The 1,000 years is a millennium. We all know that. And We know it that way as a millennium or the millennium so often the kingdom and millennium are used interchangeably okay so don't let that confuse you it's the way theology works sometimes I have to be careful about saying theology because theology isn't always biblical I know that sounds weird theology is some Understandings of what the Bible says put into order. Anology is, is a study of okay, a study of what the Bible teaches. And so sometimes, <clears throat> if one thing is out of place, the whole stack of cards would fall. You understand? Theology isn't always right, but the Bible is. How could that work if the kingdom? were now how how could all of the thousand years work if the kingdom were now well one view is called amillennialism the belief that the 1,000 years mentioned in revelation 20 does not refer to a specific period of time it is symbolic they say of the heavenly reign of christ and departed saints during the church age and that we're now living in the final era of history the kingdom is now they say it's in heaven and we can't see it unless we die the israelites will have no part in it according to amillennialism god's covenant promises are all symbolic and applied to the church And the judgments in the books of Daniel and Revelation are symbolic of the human heart with all its problems, they say. So we have the prefix awe before millennialism, and you know what that does it negates what's being stated. It's a negative and says that there is not a real, actual millennial reign of Christ from his throne in Jerusalem when he returns. And the number 1,000 is simply an idea and symbolizes fullness and completeness. I went to a Revelation study right after becoming a Christian at the United Methodist Church in Kalispell. The minister taught amillennialism. And I just could not understand that we were now living in the kingdom age. When Vietnam was winding down and LSD and crack and heroin were available at school, overdose was a common problem. Juanetta and I both knew kids that had overdosed. And our world seemed so bent on evil that I just didn't think that was the kingdom somehow even though I was a brand new Christian. We had a tragedy here in, your, in Rexford just a couple days ago. I don't know how many of you have heard about the murder, but this, this world is not in the kingdom right now. Then there's another popular theology named postmillennialism which instead of emphasizing a heavenly rule of Christ it reaches or it teaches I'm sorry it teaches that Christ will return but it will be after the millennium so after the 1000 years Christ will return somehow according to this construct 1000 years represents an era from the beginning of the church age until Christianity has made our world better and better Evil will be reduced to a minimum and there will be world peace and prosperity until the world becomes so good that the world is prepared for Christ to come again. So they say, we will usher in the kingdom. Have you heard that terminology? Sure. We'll usher in the kingdom here on earth. Then Jesus, when he comes... We'll judge the dead and establish the eternal state of heaven. So far, we've been at it for 2,000 years, not 1,000. And how's our progress report? Are we Christianizing the whole world? Here and there, we see the joys of souls coming to know Christ, but in the big picture... Is evil reduced to a minimum yet? No. Is it all up to us to usher Christ back to earth? It seems so human, these theological constructs, constructs, you know, amillennialism and postmillennialism. And, of course, there's always a third one, at least. The third one, the third millennial view in theology is that prevalent among many who believe the Bible as literal and actual God has communicated to man his word straightforward not in hidden symbolism and it comes up to be what's called premillennialism it answers the questions will the Lord Jesus literally and actually come back to earth and place his feet on the Mount of Olives as it says in Zechariah 14, verse 4, and Acts 1, verses 10 through 12, will that actually happen? It answers that question. Will he establish his throne in Jerusalem? Will he judge the Antichrist and all unbelief when he comes? Will he rule this world in peace for 1,000 actual years? The answer is yes. He will return to earth, and the end end the tribulation on this world before he establishes his kingdom so before we that's why they have the name premillennialism this theology takes bible prophecy like obadiah 21 at face value without doing allegorical gymnastics with the bible let's take a moment to consider the context of obadiah And consider the context of our verse 21. Verse 17 But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The Lord promises the house of Jacob, Israel, deliverance and holiness on Zion, which is Jerusalem. He promises that. Verse 18 We've learned that Esau, or the Edomites, and they were a pride-filled nation back then. They were arrogant. They had wealth. They had fortified cities. They had influence and no conscience when it came to looting the Israelites when they were down and out. And they even knew that they were God's people. They were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. So the Lord told them that someday the tables would turn And Israel would consume Edom, according to verse 18. See that? Verse 19. Here Obadiah foretells of a time when the southern section of Judah would occupy the Mount of Esau. On the west would possess all the way to the Mediterranean Sea where the Philistines were. Ephraim and Samaria in the northern kingdom would be restored to them And Benjamin will include Gilead, which is on the east bank of the Jordan River. Verse 20. Someday, captive Israel would return and possess all the land, even to Zarephath, way up north from Sepharad to the cities of the south, all the way down the Sinai Peninsula. That's a huge portion of land. In Genesis 12, Genesis 15 and 17, God had promised all this land to Abraham in a covenant to his descendants, to Abraham's descendants, Israel. 300,000 square miles. In its zenith under Solomon, they occupied only about 30,000 square miles, a tenth of what is promised here. Will God keep his promises? Yes, he'll keep his promises. We stand on that. If it weren't so, why be here? You know? In verse 21, when the Lord Jesus returns from heaven, he will bring his armies. We'd see that in Revelation chapter 19. Saviors with him. His armies are saviors. That would include angelic beings and departed believers. And he will judge any who occupy the Mount of Esau that oppose God, him and Israel and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. We take that at face value. Will there be a real kingdom? Will there be a real kingdom? Our context says so. Our context says so. On, and many others. Jude wrote of Enoch, one of the first prophets in the Bible. Enoch lived back in Genesis chapter 4. He, Jude wrote about him, and Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, "Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints." Daniel, 224, I'm sorry, 244, "And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms." And it shall stand forever. Zechariah in fourteen nine said, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, in that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Isaiah nine verse six and seven, you know. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. justice from henceforth even forever then it tells us the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this let's take a break and turn some pages in our Bibles just to wake up go to Luke 1 (laughs) the angel Gabriel is talking to Mary here in Luke chapter 1 <clears throat> Let's look at verse 30, okay? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end will there be a real kingdom I hope we all say yes there will be oh yes my bible says the kingdom of Christ will be real and it will be here for on earth for 1000 years Revelation nineteen six. I'm sorry, in Revelation 19, verse 16, he's called King of kings and Lord of lords. In verses 11 through 21, it describes Christ's second coming. Because of the time, I'll just give you the references, okay? At his second coming, he will return with ten thousands of his saints. He will return riding a white horse and his armies will return with him clothed in white, riding white horses. People ask me, well, there'll be animals in heaven and I can say, there'll be white horses. That's about all I know. And then he will rescue, when he gets back to this earth, places his feet on the Mount of Olives, geological changes will happen and I'll briefly mention that in a moment. But the main thing is he'll rescue Jerusalem from the enemies of God. The Antichrist and his armies will be gathered together at that moment against Jerusalem, and he'll rescue Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 3 and verse 11, and Revelation 19, 15. And then he will regather Israel in their land. He'll call them from the four corners of the earth, Matthew 24, 31. Then he will restrain the devil. The devil needs to be restrained. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit for 1000 years revelation 20 verse 4 and then he will rejuvenate the dead sea and bring life to the desert wow that's cool the dead sea's dead but it won't be someday brandon and i'll be able to go there and fly fish together i guess i don't know (laughs) that will be ezekiel 47 verses 8 through 12 and the desert will bloom what a wonderful thing that can, only be, that can only happen by God doing it. Then he will reform the animals. <laughs> what do I mean by that? The animals will be at peace. The wolf will lie down with the lamb and the calf with the lion, and that doesn't happen right now. Isaiah 11, verses 6 and 7. And he'll regard children in a special way. Isaiah 11, verse 8 he'll protect them from the snakes they'll play on the hole of the asp it's god will change everything right now it's upside down he'll put it right side up again and then he'll recover true peace to this world isaiah 2 verse 4 says and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore those of you who have served our country will take a sigh of relief at that there will be a day when there will be no more military training no need because Christ will be on the throne and the world will be in peace what can we do now I mean because that's future and we don't know how far away it is I would say it's at least seven and a half years away. I don't know. What can we do now? Number one, learn a lesson from Edom, the descendants of Esau. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Pride and arrogance are destructive. I believe, personally, that pride and arrogance caused the fall of Satan and the fall of man. It plunged this world into chaos, evil, and sin, and death. For by one man sin entered into this world, and death by sin, and so death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned, says Romans five, twelve. Learn a lesson from Esau and Edom. A negative one, of course. They were proud, and God put them down. They're gone. James 4, 6 tells us us God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Number two, what can we do? Be prepared to meet Jesus at any moment. Are you ready? Would you be in the right place among the right people doing the right thing? If he immediately appeared in your presence, somehow... Number three, serve the Lord as a priority. Don't neglect him. That neglect is what got Israel into trouble to start with. Why the Edomites kicked them while they were down. Don't neglect the things of the Lord. Learn from Israel as well. Number four, whatever we do, do it for God's glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God," it says in 1 Corinthians 10:31. Number five. maybe you'll remember this one. You know, usually when you go beyond two or three, people forget. Number five: have beautiful feet. <laughs> have beautiful feet. Romans 10:15 says, "And how shall they preach except they be sent? as it is written." How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring tidings of good things. Dear friend, we have a gospel that truly gives peace. The uh, the gospel I was mentioning earlier is included in this little booklet, but it's included in our Bibles throughout and especially in the New Testament. The gospel brings true inner peace. It does. When you receive it and believe it, If you are one who takes that gospel to someone else in one way or another, God says you have beautiful feet. So have beautiful feet. As Tom read for us, we need to be salt and light in this world. There's value in both. There's an old saying, and Lynn Kutch would understand this one. You you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But the rest of the old saying goes, but you can salt the oats. Yep. We ought to be salt. And we ought to be light in this world, as Tom read for us in Matthew chapter 5. Huh. In Luke chapter 18, verse 6, the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Jesus had just told a parable about a human judge and because he's human he is called unjust anyway this is Jesus application of that parable verse 7 says and shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him though he bear long with them I tell you that he will avenge them speedily nevertheless when the son of man cometh shall he find faith on the earth so number seven, will you be found faithful? Will I be found faithful when he comes? Matt Lynch wrote a song, May the Lord Find Us Faithful. Here are the last words of the Apostle Paul recorded for us just before his death. In prison he wrote to Timothy, he wrote second Timothy verse chapter four, verse eighteen, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work he knew that, and will preserve me, whether by life or by death, I'm adding that the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul, whether by life or by death, wanted to bring glory to God, knowing that he would be preserved to enjoy that kingdom someday. How about you? Heavenly Father, you know the hearts of everyone present here. There may be some who are not sure about Being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing Him glory in His kingdom someday. But they can know that. Father God, I ask you that you would do a special work right now, that the Holy Spirit would convict them to make sure today that they have received Jesus Christ as Savior and have the joys of heaven and the kingdom before them as we read in your word by the pen of Obadiah the kingdom shall be the Lord's may we yield our hearts and lives to you right now looking forward to that day Father God I ask that each of us would take these considerations about what we can do now in the meantime to heart and apply them to our lives, and live them out for your honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Be Thou My Vision, number 143. Number 143 in our songbooks. 143, Be Thou My Vision.
2: Be thou a vision, O Lord. Now
0: Valley Baptist Church has multiple services. Sunday school is at 9.45 a.m. The morning service is at 11 a.m. The evening service starts at 6 p.m. There's also a Wednesday night Bible study at 6 p.m. Additional men and women Bible studies are also conducted on a regular basis. Other activities include monthly potluck meals, monthly men's breakfasts, and much more. Valley Baptist Church is located at 64627 Highway 37 and that's in Eureka, Montana. Our phone number is 406-889-3134. Thank you for joining us for this audio sermon.